0: The look on that child's face was priceless. She was thrilled, she was proud, she was overjoyed and confident in a 12-year-old little diva kind of way. She flashed a precious smile and then she did a kind of a fist pump in the air as if to say, I just killed that dance routine. The audience seemed to agree. They got to their feet, clapping and shouting, and the judges seemed to agree as well, because she won the competition. And at the closing ceremony, well, there was that look again, proud and confident and dazed. I did it. I did it, she said. I really did it. Yes, she did it with eight years of ballet, tap, and jazz instruction under 14 different teachers, with three years of training in a semi-professional dance company under a world-class artistic director, with thousands of dollars spent on tuition and costumes and medical bills, and with the help of a pediatric sports specialist, And two parents, four grandparents, two brothers, and a dozen other supporters who drove her five days a week to and from her practices and her dances, who encouraged her all along the way, who cheered her on, who lifted her up when she got discouraged week after week, month after month, year after year. Yes, after all that. With all that, yes, she did it, right? She did it. Well, elite athletes and artists and public figures and great intellects usually come to understand and appreciate those that went before them, those that blazed the trail for them or encouraged them in their journey. And this morning, as we read the letter of Hebrews, The author there reminds us that our faith, the faith we have in our loving God and the faith we have in Jesus Christ, it doesn't come to us without the help of others, without someone blazing the trail, without someone coming alongside us to encourage us and help us in our walk of faith. You see, Christians don't stand on our own. We don't claim to have faith in Jesus Christ on our own. Truthfully, we are all here this day because of men and women, mothers and fathers in the faith that went before us. If you want to tell the story of your faith, the story of our faith, the story of this church, you would have to go back to the past. You would have to tell our collective story, our historical faith. We're here this morning because of the hope of those who went before us. The author of Hebrews spends two chapters listing all those who went before. You notice we skipped most of it, right? But he talks about Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham, Sarah and Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, and many, many others, all people of faith, who by the choices they made and the lives they lived were faithful. They were sure in the hope of God's promises. They were convinced of the goodness of God, even when they couldn't see it. And the early church that the author of Hebrews writes from, that early church was resting on the hope of these great giants of faith, these ones rooted in the Old Testament. And it wasn't long before new giants of faith emerged, like Paul and Peter and the women of the empty tomb. And for 2,000 years now, men and women, some famous but most just ordinary people like you and like me, have taught in the name of Christ preached in the name of Christ, reached out in the name of Christ, and you and I literally sit here in this place because of their effort, because of their sweat, because of their finances and their faith. We stand upon their hope, their faith. A little closer to home, the majority of us here this morning are sitting in a sanctuary built and paid for by others. People who came out here to this hillside cliff and said, that's a great place for a church. When there was no Barton Creek Parkway and this bee cave thing was apparently just a two-lane tiny little road, they had hope that the gospel would be needed in this community and built this place. You and I, we sit here because of what they did. This place is built by the hopes and the dreams of so many faithful ones. Some of them are sitting in the pew next to you. But many, many have completed their race and they've entered the joy of their master. Some, whose names we will be reading just today, because we've lost them very recently. It is the lives of these saints that we remember and celebrate every year on this day, this All Saints Sunday, the lives of faithful, hopeful ones that have served God well in this place. It's in their honor that I wear my resurrection robe today. But it is also a day to remember the lives of the hopeful, faithful ones who have lifted each of you up and brought you to where you are as an individual. When my son was in high school, he ran cross country races. Now I don't know how many of you had kids who ran cross country, but it's not exactly as exciting as the other track and field sports, am I right? Mainly because it doesn't happen in a stadium or on a track, right? It happens where no one can see it, out in a field someplace. But being good parents, Al and I would try and support our son and the team. And so like every other parent of a cross-country kid, we would look at the route. We would, we would be there at the beginning and cheer and then watch them run off. And then we'd look at the route and we'd decide where we were going to go stand to cheer them on. And we learned after a while, like other cross country parents, that for this long race, the best thing to do was to find the spot about a half to three quarters of a mile before the finish. We'd all gather there. We'd wait and we'd wait and we'd wait. But we'd gather there because that is the place in a cross-country race when runners get really tired, when they start to slow down. And right at that three-quarter to a half-mile point, they've got to kick it in gear, they've got to pick up their pace, they've got to sprint to the end, and it's hard to do. So we would wait there, hoping that we could help. We'd wait. There were no cell phones, so we couldn't use Facebook to entertain ourselves. But soon, we'd start to see groups of boys coming from the distance. And as soon as they would get close, we would yell and scream and shout. It didn't matter whose kid it was, even though you were secretly only rooting for your own child. You would cheer for every child because you knew that this was a point of great weakness. many of them. You you knew that this was the point that they were supposed to kick into a finishing speed and they had to somehow find the strength to do it. And you knew that your shouting and your clapping just might make a difference. At this low point, they really needed your support. Well, the author of Hebrews knows that running the race of faith, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, also has moments of weakness and discouragement. It'd be so much easier if being a disciple of Jesus Christ was like a 100-meter dash, right? You could just give one big burst of goodness and faithfulness, and it would be over. Then you could just sit in the victory tent and sip lemonade. But the race of faith, the life of a disciple of Jesus, is really more like a cross-country race. It goes on and on. It goes on when the race is fun, when it's challenging, when living the faith is joyful and easy, and there's plenty of company. And it goes on when the going gets tough, and you feel alone, and you feel discouraged, It keeps going when the pain becomes intense and when the future looms gray or uncertain. Yes, the race is long and it is not over. That's why the author of Hebrews points to the cloud of witnesses, the great cloud of witnesses that he says line the road. They finished the race and now they have circled back to cheer us on. Today is the day for remembering and celebrating the great cloud of witnesses that surround and support this church. I hope you feel that. I hope you know that. And today is the day for remembering and celebrating our personal cloud of witnesses, those who have died that continue to lift us up and give us a broader view of life and love and faith. My cloud of witnesses isn't that different from yours, I'm sure. It's filled with those who by the way they lived and the way they loved, defended the hope within them. That's what the author of 1 Peter says we all must do. We must live as those who can defend the hope within us. And my cloud of witnesses have shown me, have taught me to do just that. My cloud of witnesses have taught me to trust God when other paths would be easier. They've taught me to hold on to faith in Jesus when faith in myself or some kind of success is attractive. They have taught me to love others with Christ-like love even when I believe them to be unworthy of such grace because God doesn't think them unworthy they taught me to sacrifice and give rather than take and feed my ego. they taught me to keep going, keep running, keep pushing forward with unshakable faith that a new day will dawn and God's purposes will be worked out. All of these things I've learned from the lives of my cloud of witnesses. Those who could defend the hope within them and who gave me that gift of hope as well. In my cloud are dear family members, just as you have in yours, a few precious mentors, and scores of faithful men and women who I was honored to serve Jesus Christ alongside in the last 35 years, those who I was honored to call my parishioners. I'm proud to have witnessed them defend their hope in this life, And I'm blessed to have them support me in defending my hope today and in the days to come. In a few moments, we'll approach this table. And at the time that you come forward to receive communion, you're also going to be invited to bring your white rose with you. This delicate and beautiful and, yes, fragile white rose To remind us of the beauty and delicacy and fragility of life. To remind you of those you have loved and lost. And I invite you to bring it with you as a symbol that at this table we are not separated, that nothing, not even death, separates us from the love of God, from one another. Bring it forward. To celebrate those who are part of your cloud of witnesses. You'll be invited to celebrate their hope. You'll be invited to celebrate their love. Now notice I say celebrate, not mourn or grieve. Now there is a place for mourning and there is a place for grief and I know that there are some here this morning who can't celebrate because the loss of one you've loved is too fresh Or too devastating. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks of this human rhythm of grief and loss, saying, Do not grieve as those who have no hope. Notice Paul is assuming there will be grief for each of us. He never says, Don't grieve. But he reminds us, each of us as Christians, that our grief is different because we grieve as those who have hope, who can defend our hope. We grieve as those who know the hope of those who've gone before us. You see, each of us, we want to be forever connected, forever remembered, forever named by our loved ones. And as mere mortals, this is something we cannot claim, we cannot guarantee. But our God, The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead can make such an assurance, can make such a guarantee. And this is our hope, my friends. That God who raised Jesus shall also raise us up and lead us together with those we loved at his coming, named, still connected to our loved ones, not forgotten. This is why we celebrate this day. This is why we can talk of the saints, those who've gone before us, This is why we can still feel connected to them by the power of the Spirit. This morning, we'll gather around God's table. This table spread for us. But I want you to remember this day that this table is also for those who believe in Jesus Christ, whose race has already been won, those we love and those we miss. This morning at this table, we get to partake with those who have defended their hope in life and who joyfully live in that hope in death. For those of us still in the race, this is our nourishment. This is what gives us energy and the ability to keep going. This is where our hope is strengthened and defended as well. I invite you to take the rose that you have, and I've asked the band to play a song now called A Thousand Generations. And I want you to take this time, take this time as this beautiful song plays, to reflect on your hope and the way the life of those you've loved and lost has given you hope. Friends, in the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, there is hope enough for every grief, life enough for every loss. And if you listen real closely, you might just hear the cheers of that cloud of witnesses. Amen.